Uh, now is the time for the leader to qualify. Um, so, do I have a timer? It's perfect. Uh, perfect. Sounds good. Um, perfect. So, hi, my name's Zoe. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, yeah, so this has been a interesting journey uh, to it. So I'll go kind of back to the start of my food addictions, my problems with that, and then kind of what brought me here and what I've done, um, even though it's been a rough uh, four years of abstinence for me. Um, my food addiction probably started in childhood. Um, I kind of had that family that really did a lot of shame. Like we were middle class, we were well off, uh, we were given anything we wanted, um, but when it came to food, if I wasn't hungry, it was the shame of there's other kids that don't have what you have. You need to eat what's on your plate. You shouldn't waste what's there. So kind of that was my first step with food where I just had to complete it. I had a very tumultuous upbringing I had an alcoholic father and a mother with bipolar that was not diagnosed at the time. So if you kind of look into children of alcoholics, I became the placator. I never wanted to trigger one of them to put them into that spell to where then it would come back on me. So with that food, it was always complete, complete, complete. Empty your plate, no matter how full you were. That was the first step to it. Uh, when I got into my teen years, it became something else. Um, as a trans woman, like at that point, living as male, and then I hit puberty, my body started to betray me. Uh, a little bit of dysphoria, a little bit of body dysmorphia. And food became my crutch. Food became my thing that would really soothe me. It gave me so many different levels for that. So what would happen, like I would eat, I'd put on weight, and to me, having the male body but then having a little bit of extra weight gave me a little bit of curves. That was the first part where on that. And then secretly, when nobody else was around, I would kind of live what I could to be kind of more them. I would have that, then something would trigger in me where I would feel shame. And then what would I do with that shame is I would eat food. Those first couple bites for me were so good. They soothed that pain. But then I would continue eating and eating. And then it became a shame replaced with a different shame. So with my food, there was a lot of shame in it. Um, as an example, like at 13, I would ditch school. I'd have my little bit of time. Then I would feel that shame. I'd order a pizza. And at 13, I could put away a whole large pizza myself. You know, 2,000 plus calories right there in that sitting. And that became the start of my binging. Eating in secrecy. That became my biggest thing was hiding what I ate. And to me, that started there. Once I got into my early 20s, the food became a different thing. As if, if I put on weight, nobody will love me. I won't be seen by people where they'll want to be with me. So it was a way of keeping people away and keeping that love away. And I know that's kind of BS. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, there's all different types um, that are for all different types. But I found it a way of just hiding it at all. 
Uh, I moved to LA in 2005 because I kind of knew I needed to get away to start over a new life. I got here, I saw people like me, and that scared me. Uh, I, was, I was originally going to come out in 2008. Uh, biggest fear was losing my friends, my family, my work, because um, it wasn't as known then as being the trans person. It's getting easier to be lesbian, gay, bi, but being trans still wasn't a thing. It was there, but it was very kind of underground and not seen as much. Um, 2008 election was happening. I was working towards therapy. My parents voted yes on Prop 8, which meant they would only see marriage between a man and a woman. And I'm like, well, if I'm only interested in women, they just said, we don't support you. At that point, I ended up in the next year, put on almost 50 pounds. I shut down everything and I said, this is my life. Food was the crutch. Food has always been the crutch for me. It took about until 2009, 2010, I went to my first OA meeting. I didn't know all the different acronyms that were on the OA site, so I ended up, <laughs> I ended up, I ended up going to a meeting that was for uh, anorexics and bulimics. And so I show up there and everybody was talking about how they abstained or they binged and purged. And in my stupid mind, I'm sitting there going, of course it's L.A. <laughs> it's L.A. Of course that's what everybody does on there. Nobody binges like me and doesn't throw up or anything like that. So I didn't go to any other meeting. I thought, this is what L.A. is. <laughs> I'm not going to find people like me. Um, and it wasn't until like 2014, I was like, okay, let's kind of think about transition again. And I was like, if I get below a certain weight, I'll do it. Couldn't get below that certain weight because I still had that addiction to food. I didn't know there was a power greater than me that I could turn that over. Until it got to a point to where going to the body issues and stuff like that, I was shooting the World Series of Beach Volleyball down in uh, Long Beach for two days, surrounded by beautiful women. And seeing bodies that I felt I would never have. And it just broke me. And after the second thing, as I was driving home I, at that night in 2016, was like, I'm going to take my life. Like you said, you don't want to kill yourself. Like, I was at that point where I wanted to end it all. And of course, in fashion where <laughs> you're a food addict, on the way home, I picked up my final meal. Um, <laughs> A large pizza, a pint of ice cream, and whatever it was when I was eating that meal, there must have been that power greater than me. I looked up transgender inspiration and I found somebody that looked like me that became something better. I started to cry. I didn't eat my food that night. I didn't eat the pizza. I didn't eat the ice cream. That was amazing. And then I spent three hours looking at videos. And one thing I saw in everybody was there was a time where deadness was in their eyes and they became a light. I finally wanted to live. I still had the problems with food for a little bit from that because that was towards the end of 2016. I didn't know what my life was going to become. I didn't know if I was going to lose my friends, my family, my job. But everybody was accepting Everybody was open. And then I decided it was around 
March, maybe two months after I started my transition, I went to my first OA meeting at uh, Serenity Sunday. And that room was so big, you heard so many stories. Sometimes you hear things that don't connect to you, but whatever it was, was the newcomer contact. I was still presenting mail. I was like still looking very, very mail. And I told the newcomer contact, I was like, I doubt I'll hear my story here. And she told me, keep coming back. Keep coming back. And then the next time, I heard little tidbits in their story, in somebody else's story. I was still, you know, I would, I would mark down when the sheet wouldn't come around. I'm like, six days abstinence or five days abstinence because it would keep resetting. Because I still wasn't being truthful in those meetings. And then one day there was a big share and somebody said, you know, when it opened up for shares, they were just like, tell me something you're afraid to say. And at that point I went up and I shared with the room about my transition. And then so much love and acceptance from this room. I was amazed. I was amazed because I didn't know how I was going to react. Nobody else, there was lesbians and gay people that shared but nobody was trans in that room since then I've met two other people in program one I've kind of lost contact with but right before the uh, shutdown they were starting their own transition and it was great that they felt they could confide in me before they opened up because at that point they were mainly in men's groups like they're like how is this going to go I'm like I don't know I was never in a men's group like but the program has brought community. That is one thing that I'm forever grateful for because I know I'm not alone. I, so the last time that I binged was November 24th, 2017. I know that date because that was the date of my 20th reunion. I was going and I was gonna be the only person on my name tag that didn't have my, my graduation photo because it had my new name. So it would be weird if you had my graduation photo and my old name. And it was, it was a weird time there, but leading up to that, I binged right before going. I was afraid it was a conservative town. How are people gonna react? Most people didn't remember me, so that's fine. Um, but I binged because I was afraid and then nothing happened that night. And then I realized there is that power. I started working the steps finally. That was that last thing that I needed was like, it's going to be okay. There is this greater power that is overwatching everything. And realizing that, yes, I am like powerless over food. So my recovery became a thing of no binging, no mindless eating, because those were my things. Um, talking with my sponsor and talking leading up today, I'm like sitting there going, I'm gonna feel like such bullshit when I'm up here saying, that is my abstinence, is no binging and no mindless eating. Because you get in people and you have people like the most strict eating plans, but then you have people that it's more narrow focus. And it's finding what works for you. So to the newcomers, it's like, what is going to be your plan? That's for you to decide. You know, what is going to help you get to that healthy weight, that healthy way of eating? There is no one way. And that was the thing that was hardest for me. The other hard thing for me was not believing in a higher power. 
being in a body that was different from my brain, how am I to plead for something greater than me? Who would do this to somebody where it's like, we gave you a male body but a female brain? What type of God is that like to me? And that's always been a struggle. Um, so through my sponsor, there was a lot of great things that she gave me, like finding that higher power that it didn't have to be God. It's, it's interesting when it says in there, like God, as we understood him, I always say it as God, as I understood them, because it does not have to be male. It does not have to be female. It can be anything. It can be an entity. Um, I randomly found mine while I just decided to start walking. I live up in the Hollywood Hills. And I was just going to do a short walk. And then suddenly I was like a mile up in the hill. And I realized how much Mother Nature is around us. And Mother Nature became kind of my higher power. That is a thing that I feel there is so much beauty out there. We are in the city, but look at how much nature still exists. How... If we were to die tomorrow, the animals would take over right away. Um, so that was the great thing. So finding my higher power, I think, tr- truly, truly helped. Knowing things that there is the power greater than you, that things are going to be okay. Going back to my absence being so narrow and how I feel kind of BS on this. I recently was like, I'm going to add, because I hear everybody's sugar and, uh, and like flour. I love sugar. I love flour. Um, I want to live, though. So she guided me to something better for right now. My eating plan is evolving because this past year has been hell. I'll be honest. Last year has been really hell. Many times I've wanted to just give up my abstinence. I had major complications from a surgery. My three-month recovery turned into seven. Um, Part of that, I was bedridden, and I ate some of my yellow light foods. I had a couple of my red light foods. Um, red light foods being pizza, ice cream, cake, um, because I was depressed. Um, I wanted to die. I thought it wasn't going to get better. Um, I was gaslit by a surgeon here in L.A., like, I so just wanted to end it all, but I didn't binge. I didn't do any secret of eating. Um, thankfully, I no longer have five plus bags of fast food wrappers underneath my seat. Um, it, it was tough, um, but I did reach out often, probably not as often as I should have to my sponsor, to other people for outreach. Uh, that's one thing I, I'm still lacking in my, my recovery is outreach. I'm afraid to reach out and tell people I have a problem, that I'm struggling. And I think that goes back to my upbringing, is being, a, like, being able to say, I have a problem, I need help. Because I don't know, I never knew what that person I was gonna get. Um, if I reached out to my family in the past, it was like, oh, you'll get through it. That doesn't help. Or, oh, you're better than that. But I'm not. How many of us think you're better than what you truly are? Most of us think we have problems. We are our own worst critics. Um, and that takes me to step four. So I'm kind of jumping all over the place. Um, step four was tough doing the inventory. Um, going through things. Um, 
there is so much self-shame, so much self-hate that I'm still working through. And that's tough. Like, I love myself more than I ever have in my life at this moment. But it's still so tough to get through. It is so tough when you sit there and go, will I, I still think, will I ever be loved? Will I ever find somebody? Will I ever fully love myself? Um, Will I ever feel 100% of my body? Why, when I go out to eat, I have the idea I'm going to eat something healthy, but then, oh, I grab a burger instead. Like, those food choices. It's the self-sabotage on there. And there was so much in that step four that was triggering. It was tough to go through that and make that inventory of myself. And all those little things. Um, but it was also helpful. Uh, coming up on this past four years, one thing I want to do this year is kind of rework through a new step four. Because I did that three years ago. I did that in my first year of recovery of abstinence. And I want to see like how much has that evolved. What was on there before that isn't on there? What has the power of program helped me overcome? What am I still stuck on? Um, Why am I still so struggling with my ideas of abstinence? Why do I feel it's not strong enough? Um, Like sometimes I sit here and I hear a speaker and I'm like, I should start over and say I'm on day one. Um, Because it is so minimal. It, it, there is so much struggle and it's every day. Uh, like my dad, it's like I mentioned earlier, was an alcoholic. I sometimes think that would be the easier addiction, which I know is minimizing alcoholism because you don't need to drink to live. I know it's far. It's hard because um, he struggled for years to break that. But multiple times a day we have to eat. Multiple times a day we make those decisions. And it's a struggle every single day, even four years later. I'm glad I'm here, though, because I hear choices that people make. I hear so many great advice. Um, Like a couple weeks ago when we had the double share, people with years and decades of abstinence, like, that's where I want to be someday. I want to be here and say 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And I, I confided in my my sponsor uh, just the other day, or actually last night, that what has kept me abstinent is the fact of being here for almost five years now. I've seen so many people have to start over the recovery. And it breaks my heart. Like I feel for them. Because that's the main thing that I think has kept me going is I see how hard that is for them to start over and to admit that in this room. And I think that's the number one reason why I've kept my abstinence, why I want my abstinence to be stronger, but then I'm afraid. Well, I'd be saying day one. I'm in my first 30 days again. I didn't make it to five years. But there are many long timers here that have 10, 20, 30 years that they failed. I don't, well, failure is the wrong word. Um, that they had to start over. And 
So I know <clears throat> there is no perfect way of, of recovery. There is no one step. Um, and yeah, so doing that fourth step, I think, is going to be really helpful for me to get to five years because I'm still struggling. Um, when I was having the recovery from the from the surgery issues, I ended up with a ileostomy, which is like a colostomy. Thing is, most your stuff misses most your intestines. I never felt satiated for the two months I had it. I never felt full. And being a food addict and having that constant in your head, like, you're not full. You just ate a thousand calories, but you're not full. Was the worst. Um, sponsor got me through it. Therapist got me through it. Because I could have easily eaten 5,000 calories a day and not felt a thing. And that scared me. But if I underate, if I ate less than the calories I needed to be, I was nauseous. I was dizzy. It was such a struggle. But it did give me a new appreciation of food in myself. Thankfully, that's been reversed. The first time that I ate and I felt full, I was like, oh, thank God. And it was a fraction of what I was eating. Um, and it just, it's, it's the power of program. It's the power of the people here. Thank you so very much on that. Um, the final thing that I'll talk about is uh, meditation. Because that was the other thing that got me through it. Um, before program, I never really meditated. I never knew the power of it. Meditation's what got me through the past year. Those times that I was in bed, I did a lot of doom scrolling online. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was horrible, but I, it was also kind of sad because the world was reopening at that time, and yet here I'm in bed, and I'm seeing everybody enjoying their life. So I learned to disconnect more. I learned to breathe, to meditate. Um, if anybody doesn't know, LA County, you can get Headspace for free as a subscription, as an app. It's a great meditation app. I know that's kind of an outside issue, but great, great program. Um, and I have another meditation program on my phone. I try to do morning and night. Um, when we're on the road here in LA a lot, there's a lot of little chances to do what I call like red light meditations. I think I learned that from here at uh, Serenity Sunday, where when you're stopped, don't pay attention to the light if there's a car in front of you. Pay attention to the car in front on there. Don't pay attention to the light. Because if you're watching that light, they don't go right away. You're honking that horn. But instead, I just watch them. I get in my breathing. Once I see their lights not be red and start to go, then I go. And then being in LA traffic, there's plenty of times to just get those little meditations. <laughs> and not being like so pissed off all the time, like, go, go, go. Um, it's made life a lot easier. Like, I don't get frustrated in traffic anymore. Um, it doesn't make me want to stop by at the Taco Bell on the way home because I'm so frustrated with all this. Meditation has been a lifesaver too. Um, I'm going to end it early. Sorry I rambled and jumped all over the place, but thank you so very much for your time. All right. All right. This is the time for questions only. Right? That's where we're at. Yeah. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are my own and not those of overeater anonymousness as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast.
much for your lead, um, experience, strength, and hope. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what made you, uh, what do you experience in OA that made you feel safe? And how did you um, use that in all of the various meetings and experiences to guide you? Uh, so the question is, what made me feel safe and uh, open to OA? Uh, Serenity Sunday was my first real, like, that was my home meeting. This has kind of now become second home meeting because I only really went to Serenity Sunday before the shutdown. Um, what made me feel safe was the diversity of that room. Um, even here, there's so much mix of everything of ages, of abstinence levels, of genders, of everything. And that's a beautiful thing, and that's a great thing about LA. Um, and if that meeting wasn't right, um, and I think it was like the first or second meeting I went to, somebody's like, go to three, four, five meetings, because if the first one's not right, the next one might be. I, it's kind of finding kind of finding your group, your tribe. Um, and even though I wasn't open and like still kind of hiding myself at first, at least the first person that I talked to there was open and accepting. Um, she put me in contact with somebody that was one of the LGBT groups. Um, it just didn't work for my schedule. Um, and, and I think that was very helpful, but just knowing how accepting it was. Um, when I when I came out at that meeting to the room, like afterwards, the amount of people that came up, was there some people that kind of avoided eye contact after that? Yes. Do I shame them for that? No. Because everybody's got different beliefs. Nobody's got to agree with me. Um, and I'm sure there's things that I've heard where I don't agree with other people. Lifestyle choices. But that room was so open, so accepting. And it's been that way for everything that I've seen. Uh, when meetings went to Zoom, I, I didn't, I kind of fell off for a bit because it didn't have that same camaraderie, didn't have that same connection um, to have those conversations mm -hmm. with people, to mingle after the meetings. Um, so, so that's one thing. I just think it's the mixture of personalities. Uh, we're all here for different reasons, but with one similar kind of goal. Um, and it makes you not feel alone. That was the thing, it's like I felt so alone for most of my life. And uh, that's what these rooms brought to me. Did I answer it? Well, when you said that you weren't gonna eat that pizza or that ice cream or whatever, how do you keep your word to yourself that you say you're definitely not gonna eat that, but I mean, you don't have a downfall. How do you keep your word yourself about, you know, letting God down or people down because you were eating, and then you're, it's so easy for you to keep your word, but it's very hard to keep my word about eating, you know. Um, so the question is, is how do I keep my word of keeping my abstinence to not... So you're not going to eat this, so then... That I'm not going to eat those words. certain foods? Okay. Um, so, oh no, that's fine. I'm just making sure I'm repeating it, so am I understanding it right? Okay. Because I have myself a very hard time doing that. Uh-huh. And I'm very worried about it too. It's the, that's the many different things. Uh, so, Hi, oops, hang on. <laughs> Sorry. 
Sorry, I accidentally answered my phone on my watch. Um, sorry about that. Um, oops. Sorry, that was weird. I was like, where's that noise coming from? Um, sorry about that. Uh, the, the thing is, is looking at things into micro transactions in a way. Is, the, is kind of the way I look at it is not only just one day at a time, but one meal at a time, one bite at a time. Um, like I said, I did eat some of my red light foods during this past year. Instead of a whole pizza, a single slice. It used to be that single slice would lead to the whole pizza. Um, but it's the reason why now I've cut out pizza. I've cut out ice cream. They've now become strict red light foods as part of my abstinence. Because my, my sponsor wouldn't allow me to go full sugar, no sugar, full no flour at the moment. Um, because she knows I'm not at a place where that would set me up. That would set me up for failure if I completely blocked that out. I would be here starting over. So it's, it's knowing I can now do one bite or two bites and I don't need the whole thing. It's hard to get to that. Um, I don't know how I did that. I don't know if that was just turning it over to the power of, you know, the higher power. If it was willpower, I don't know if it's me still my brain of shame that if I do eat that whole pizza, I would feel so shame again, and I don't want to go into shame. I, I don't know what's getting me to that point, um, but I would like to think it's me turning my, my power, over, like the will over to the higher power. I think that's what it is. Um, I avoid ice cream because, especially when I'm at my parents' house, <laughs> my, my, my sponsor, I, I, told my, I told my sponsor, like, you would not believe what my parents have. And then this last time I was there, she said, send me a picture. And this was the lowest time of amount of ice cream that they had in their freezer. I think there was only six cartons. Six. Um, and I wonder where I get my food problems from. Um, six cartons of ice cream for two people that are retired. Um, typically, my dad will go through a whole carton in three sittings. When a serving's, what, half a cup? Of, like, half a cup? Um, but that, but that's tough. It's now making that choice. It's like, do I want that ice cream that will give me that moment of pleasure? But then I'm going to have that shame about it. So much of my life is led by that shame still. Um, and I, I think that's, that's where I get that power from. From the higher power, from turning it over to knowing my limits. Um, I, did when I was up there in Thanksgiving, I did have a bowl. Um, and partly because the other thing is, is ice cream for me, I'm lactose intolerant, but I still have it. I love putting my body through uh, hell, I guess. Um, but for what I was going through physically at that time, I needed that effect of the ice cream. And it did spark. Um, but it's, when I was up there for Christmas, I didn't have ice cream once on there. Six cartons of ice cream to choose from. And I said no. Um, on Christmas Day, though, I did have a piece of pie. Um, but I did not have that ice cream. That previous, before program, I could have a bowl of ice cream every day when I was there. Not just a little half a cup serving, but a bowl. So I, give, I, I thank program for that. That's why I keep doing the readings. That's why I keep coming back. So thank you. Oh. Uh, works at nine. 
on yourself. Step nine on myself. Let me read the way that it's worded, because I always forget how it's completely worded. Where do we go on that? Sorry. Oh, that amends. Um, so amends on myself. So the question was, how did I work step nine and work it on myself? Um, I'm still working on step nine for myself. There is so much that I feel like I missed out on on my life because I lived so much of my life as a false version of myself. Um, that I have been so cruel to myself. That I've been so mean to myself. Um, that is tough. Uh, on the amends, I'm pretty sure when I was making that list of who I needed to make amends to, at least half of it was me compared to other people. Um, because I beat myself up for so long. I like totally didn't respect my body. I didn't respect the life given. The choices, um, and it was it was tough. Um, it's still tough to this day. Um, even though I said I needed a step four, I probably also need to do a second step nine. Because when you get so far away from it, it's you need to constantly reassess. You need to constantly rework the steps. Um, but it's trying to learn to be kind to myself. Um, to know I can fail. You know, which human doesn't have missteps? Um, but that was kind of that perfection upbringing of not wanting to get the drunk father or the you know bipolar mom to become irate. Um, like as an example, like one time I got a B in class, and oh, you can do better than that. It was a B. Like my sister was a straight C and D student. Oh well, you're smarter than her. Okay. It's like so much things where perfection was set up. Um, so many times where I felt like it, it's it, it's tough, but <clears throat> I'm here. I'm still working the program. I'm trying to love myself and care for myself, and and give myself the love that I pushed away from other people for so long. Um, and that's where I'll make that amends to myself: is to continually loving myself, continually improving my program. And then hopefully, eventually get into that healthy body weight. Um, I was just in the ER Wednesday, but, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm so overweight. And I've gained weight this year, but all my laps were perfect. So it's like, I don't have the healthy body weight, but somehow I still have the healthy insides. Even though I was in the ER. Um, I, I just, I'll eventually get there, but it's, it's always going to be a work in process. I think until the time. Like, until the end of it all. You know, will I ever have that <laughs> perfect view? No. Um, but I can get as close to perfect as I see myself, I think, eventually. So thank you. Carol, actually, that's my back question. Really? <laughs> <laughs> um, what, uh, how do you use the tool, and is there one or two particularly that are really effective, and are there one or two that you just don't mind um, so what tools do I use on there? I'd say probably the biggest tool that I use is the meditation on there. Um, the meditation is, is a time to clear my head. Um, 
people, when they get in my car, I always have a podcast going and they're like, how can you do that? I have a podcast. Whenever I play podcasts, I play it at two times speed. I need constant noise. Otherwise, my brain keeps going. That is where meditation helps. Like, It is so tough to turn off the brain. I worked in the creative side of the film industry for about 15 years. So my brain was always going, always thinking. Learning to shut that off has been a help. Learning to breathe, to take a moment, to be in the moment, like the meditation's really, really helped on that. Um, Do I sometimes not do it enough? Yes. Um, I try to do two days every day. Sometimes it's one, sometimes I do skip a day. Um, Sometimes it's multiple times more than a day. Uh, A tool that I should probably use more that I don't is a food plan. Um, I try to do my food plan and I try to meal prep. I try to sit there and go, this is what I need. This is what I should eat. This is the healthy way of eating. But I think being so rigid in that, it goes into my restrictive mindset. Um, So the food plan, I think I should try to probably implement a little bit more and look to the tools on how can I do that food plan and not feel like this is so restricted. This is so limited. If I have my meals made up for the next day, like I feel like it's too set in stone on there. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you to my sponsor for also bringing up a thing uh, that, we also, that we also do. <laughs> Um, so we she's better at it than me but every day we do uh, the AEIOU and why um, I don't know if anybody's heard of that it stands for abstinence uh, what am I going to exercise. <laughs> exercise that's right uh, I myself others um, I can't believe I'm going so blank on this um, you is Uncover, uncover, and why is Yippee? Um, yeah. So it's it's a great little tool to reflect at the end of the day on each day um, to remind yourself that, yeah, you were abstinence that day. Not every day I do exercise. Um, this has made it a little bit easier because then it's making sure I'm moving enough, getting enough steps, especially after being bedridden for five months. Um Trying to think of others is probably the one in that step that I am the least at. Um, I always have excuses, which I shouldn't. Um, But I think that would help if I do more outreach to help others. Um, Finding stuff to uncover every day is sometimes tough um, because then I sometimes go more into my, my critical mind instead of like, what did I uncover that was positive? I tend to go to uncover stuff that's negative. Um, but Yippee is also good, too, because then it reminds me that you're ending on something positive. At times, like when I was in the yard the other day, I think I put, I did I put anything for the Yippee? Probably not. Um, or maybe I did because I was like, yeah, I'm out of the ER. Um, <laughs> Cedars right now is not a place to go. Oh, my. There's people lined up on the hallways in every single room. Um, but, yeah, so those those are some of the tools that I use on there. But. Food plan is probably the one that I should start working on the most for the next steps in my recovery. Thank you so much for your share and for your service. Uh, you, uh, 
uh, you were talking about your, since your sponsor made themselves uh, known, <laughs> <laughs> and you shared about how you're, you, it's scary for you to, to, uh, to ask for help. Could you talk a little bit about your experience of when you first asked someone to sponsor you, what that was like for you? Got it. Um, yeah, I went through my first couple months of abstinence without a sponsor. I, oh, sorry, the question is, is like, how did I go about asking for help that first time to get a sponsor? I should have been smart when I first joined. I should have been looking for sponsors right away. Um, that was my fault, because then maybe I could have got my abstinence earlier. I could have got that help earlier. But I've always been afraid to ask for help. Like, nobody, even my closest of friends, knew what I was struggling with, with how unhappy I was, that I was going through everything, because I could never ask for help. I didn't want to be a burden. Uh, there was times where, uh, even after getting a sponsor, where I didn't reach out because I was like, oh, it's the weekend. Oh, it's late. Oh, it's a holiday. Like, why am I going to reach out? Like, I don't want to be a burden to people. So I think that was the hardest part of where I didn't want, I didn't get a sponsor right away. But I got to a point where I started my abstinence and then I needed help. I didn't think I could keep my abstinence without having that help. So I looked for people that I saw sharing that I felt like I could meld with. Um, I got lucky on sponsor. I'm on my first sponsor. Been with them for a couple of years. Um, and I know that's not always the case. But I know sometimes you get a sponsor and it's not a right fit. Just like therapy. You can get a therapist and it's not the right fit. Um, you could have a job. It's not the right fit. And if I needed to, at least you can always easily bail. It might be a little awkward at face-to-face -face meetings if you do, but I needed that help. I knew I wouldn't be able to keep my abstinence without that help, without finding somebody that, as they say, find somebody that has what you want. They had a couple years. That was enough. I didn't want somebody necessarily with 20, 30 years. Because, yes, that's eventually what I want, but I wanted somebody newer in it. Uh, and yeah, so I just reached out and asked afterwards, and it became from there. So I think that's about time. Yeah. Perfect.